Hello and welcome to Robin and Josie's Book Shambles, or Josie and Robin's Book Shambles. You're listening to the abridged version of this episode. If you'd like to hear the extended, uncut edition, you can, for as little as $1 a month, by pledging to support the podcast and the Cosmic Shambles Network. You'll get access to extended episodes of Book Shambles each week, as well as all sorts of other goodies like free tickets to our events, and so on, and so on, and etc. Go to patreon.com slash bookshambles. It's a forward slash, but you know that again. Hello, welcome to Book Shambles. Producer Trent here. On this week's episode, Robin is flying solo in the studio, but he is joined by uh, someone who was our first ever guest on Book Shambles uh, like 180-something episodes ago. Stuart Lee uh, is here to talk about his new book, The March of the Lemmings. And as always, you can hear an extended version of that chat with Robin and Stu by pledging on Patreon, supporting us on Patreon as little as $1 a month. You'll get extended versions of every episode as well as other goodies on offer on there. Patreon.com slash bookshambles. And a reminder about some upcoming events from the Cosmic Shambles Network as well. Signals, the comedy play about searching for alien life is on tour now in uh, Sale and York and the Norwich Science Festival and other places as well. Check out cosmicshambles.com slash signals for dates for that. Nine Lessons and Carols for Curious People is coming up November 29 and 30 at the Lowry in Salford and then five dates throughout December, including a family matinee at King's Place in London. Always adding new names to the bill for those shows and there'll be a few surprises as well so if you've not had a look at cosmicshambles.com slash nine lessons uh in the last month or so make sure you drop by again to see who else has been added to the bill people like uh grace petrie and liz bonnen and femi and marco and michelle dickinson and josh idahan and Susie gage and plenty of others as well. Go and check that out. Tickets available from that website for all dates. There are very few tickets left for Robin and Brian Cox's Compendium of Reason at Hammersmith Apollo on December 6th. This year, as ever, is a bumper secret lineup down to the last few rows of seats for that show. So make sure you go to the Cosmic Shambles website and get your tickets for that. And we will be doing Trussell Trust collections at Hammersmith Apollo and King's Place and the Lowry uh, at their show, at those shows as always. And again, all profits from all those shows will be going to charities as we do each and every year. Mentioned Norwich Science Festival earlier. Uh, We're going to be there with a few shows at the end of October. Check out dates for those on the website, as well as go to robinintz.com for all the dates for Robin's Chaos of Delight tour in November. Quite a few of those are sold out already. There are still tickets available for most of the dates, Exeter and Edinburgh and Glasgow and others. So check that out. And, of course, Sea Shambles, May 17, 2020 at Royal Albert Hall uh, is going to be one of our biggest and most spectacular shows ever. So make sure you come along to that. Robin and Steve Backshall and Helen Chersky and lots of amazing secret guests there. Don't forget five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts, please. That uh, really helps us out. Thank you very much for everyone who's done that in the past couple of weeks. Now on to this week's episode. Here is Robin and Stu. Mm-hmm. 
But that, that is... Uh, hello, welcome to Book Shambles. Uh, and I'm with Stuart Lee today. But yeah, we're going to talk about your book anyway. That's oh, what I want. I, I wanted to uh, march the lemmings, which is a collection of it. It's kind of in some ways. Having read it this morning, I go. It's depressing to return to this. Well, I should say to the audience uh, listening. Well, they're the only people I can say it to. I can't say it to the audience that aren't listening. No. Which is um, that we're recording this on the day that the uh, or the day after the, the Supreme Court found against uh, Boris Johnson's proroguing, and so we're also seeing uh, today lots of things like you know people like Quentin Letts, who is a, a man who's like unfortunately quite a few journalists whose basic employment uh, is to dehumanise individuals and to kind of elevate his sense of superiority and he's been attacking the judges and yeah. um, and he pops up in, in your book. Yeah, quite, and I was thinking about the amount, because there's dehumanising in your book because at the end of each column that's reprinted you have some of the comments that were printed under it. Yeah. And I just wrote down, there's a, there's a James Well, I, well I, tried to, I tried to, when you know, three years ago when the, um, when the referendum happened, I thought, right... This is, there's a fixed time to this. You know, it's going to take time to pass and implement, and then we'll leave the EU. And I thought, I will try and write all the newspaper columns in that period. I'll try and keep at the back of my mind that I'm trying to juggle, keep characters and themes in play so it adds up to a, to a whole, you know. And so it was... But then what went wrong is we didn't leave on the 29th of March, so the... <laughs> <laughs> the perfect shape of it didn't happen. But. So this means you'll be bringing out one of those kind of rip-off slim books of everything that you've done yeah, up to the... Yeah, well, it depends how long all this takes, doesn't it? I mean, it depends how long all this takes. At the moment, you know, I'm trying to write a column today, actually, and it's a bit like trying to take the temperature of water as it's boiling. You know, you can't sort of put a line in the sand and say, we're here right now. So if I was thinking about what would the next collection of columns be about thematically... Uh, you, you, on the one hand, you sort of think, well, the Boris years, because he could last two years, you know, or that could all be over, you know, the, you know, if the Brexit doesn't get through, or will there be a horrible aftermath of it, or you know, just don't know at the moment what, um, what the th- sort of feel of the next, the next block of work would be. Well, the the Chortle comedy website frequently elevates you as this kind of soothsayer. Uh, returns to it, it says, little do you know that today's news story yeah. actually was written about by Stuart Lee a year yeah. and a half ago, or appears in a piece of stand-up. So you well, you, actually, every, become... everything that I mean, but that's that's a, a numbers game, isn't it? I mean, I've got I, I'm not saying I'm better than other people, but there's more of my stand-up has been on television than probably anyone else's, which is. Six, nine, you know, 12 hours of comedy vehicle and about 12, I've done about 12 hours of, of live DVDs. And, and, and over, and lots of the themes in them have foreshadowed stuff that's in the news now. So stuff gets retweeted and put on the online. And also in the book, the just sheer volume of stuff that I wrote about Brexit means that, you know, you've covered things. Even yesterday when, um, it might even have been this morning where Boris said that, um, Boris Johnson said that, Brexit was like a Prometheus trapped forever and having his liver cut out uh, by an eagle. I, I said that about him a month ago, that he was like a, a netto Prometheus chained to a rock because he's caught between not being able to deliver on the 31st but still being in office and he's in a parliament that he has no power over. And it, so, you know, it's kind of weird that even that, in that short term, you've used the same frame of reference as him. And the Hulk thing was the thing that, you know, about two weeks ago, he compared himself to the Hulk, and I noticed in 2017, March, May 2017, my friend Carlton B. Morgan, who's a cartoonist and a writer, lives in Newport in um, in South Wales. Boris Johnson had gone in the market and started talking to the 
on a walkabout publicity thing, which rather like the ones now just <laughs> meant loads of people were booing him in public, you know, and he, he went to the comic stand and tried to talk about the Hulk to the bloke. He likes to compare himself to the Hulk. And I thought, that's weird. I'm sure he's done it before. You know, and with the magic of Google, I found about every six months he'll... It's one of the things he does. All these things that seem spontaneous, as we know from that brilliant um, Jeremy Vine piece where Jeremy Vine talks about being asked to do an after-dinner speaking thing where Boris turned up and said, what's it about? Oh, I'll write... Uh, what? Where am I? And wrote some notes on a napkin in front of everyone and, a, and, and then winged it. Oh, amazing. But he managed to pull something out of the bag. But then the next time Vine was on a gig with him, he did the same thing, turned up, went, what's this about? Pretended to write some notes on his bit of paper and then did the same half-hour speech that he'd done the other time, which only works if you think he's busking it, right? You yeah. know what I mean? So it's all fake. Likewise, this thing he says about the Hulk, he says that about every six months. It's one of his little things that he says that, that makes him look like a normal bloke who's read a comic, you know, but, but hasn't understood the core of it, which is, as Gary Frank, the Hulk artist, said, when I asked him about it, that Bruce Banner doesn't want to go green and smash stuff up. And it's about trying to control your idiotic, stupid, lying animal impulses, which is something that no-one's ever done to Boris. Until that court judgment, actually, which is probably the first time anyone said no to him. You know, so it's, uh, but it is weird. That's just an inevitability that things look like you've foreshadowed them. There's, there's also things in there that are wrong that I wrote about that, that just didn't happen. But this, in the end, um, I, I think so. I remember the, the the last few weeks before the actual uh, the referendum. Yeah. I spoke to you quite a lot. You rang up on quite a few days. Well, we're part of the said, metropolitan liberal elite, aren't yeah. we? And we were worried about uh, how we would con continue to maintain cultural dominance over this country. Yeah, the uh, the extra arts centre won't book you anymore. Your cultural dominance has come to an end. Uh, but it is, and I remember naively saying that I got it totally wrong because I said what I imagined was that at the last minute when people went in to vote, they would go, do you know what? Having a big change like this, it, it might just be too much. And very often people vote for... That's, you know, very often why they vote on certain right-wing yeah, parties. Yeah. Oh, it's the status quo. And what I hadn't realised was they were still voting for the status quo. And it was the status quo of 1934. Yeah. And that's why that they, that it hadn't moved on. And that... There's that great line which occurred. People now quote it more and more from Clockwise. Michael Frayn's brilliant thing. It's, it's it's not the despair. It's the hope that I can't stand. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's what I, you know, you yeah. dealing with this, and I know how much this, you know, for everyone that that morning. Yeah. I remember speaking to people in tears. I remember speaking to pretty much anyone who had any kind of immigrant background was yeah. was, uh, um, you know, really disturbed because of the way the narrative was, and because also there had been, you know, someone murdered in the run up to this yeah. right wing murder. Yeah. Um, how does this in any way writing these things? Do you have a brief moment that it's a salve? Or do you find constantly returning to this issue, you just think, oh, the, I feel more no. and more wretched? I feel more and more wretched. I feel, I feel, I mean, I, I write as a joke in here. I, I, I believe it was I who wrote in the introduction, but I put something like, um, uh, I don't recognise, you know, I don't recognise my country or many of the people I thought I knew, and I'm not sure I recognise myself anymore and the angry, disillusioned person I've become in reality rather than just on stage. I also seem to put on a lot of weight, developed high blood pressure and erectile dysfunction, become partially blind and gone completely grey, all of which I also blame on Brexit in general and Jacob Rees-Mogg specifically, right? But there is some truth in that. that it is, it, you know, I feel 
very sort of depressed about the whole thing and um and what's the pointish and 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 yet I'm a person who's financially solvent I have what's thought of as a successful career but the sort of the bigger the bigger philosophical crisis of it and seeing people how people's emotions are manipulated and whatever and how easily it's been for people to do that I think is just profoundly depressing and I don't I don't see um a way out of it and I I mean it's it's people have said that I know that the routines I did about all this stuff and the stuff I've written about, I know it gives kind of, it gives momentary comfort to people because they realise they're not alone. That's the thing that I think gets, because obviously there'll be many people who've kind of said, oh, what's the point in Stuart Lee doing these political things because it doesn't change anything. Yeah. But as you were just saying, one of, to me, one of the most important things is is not that people go, oh, I've actually changed. It's that they go, I'm not alone. Yeah, I'm And that, that's alone. the bit that seems... Because we've seen this... To, I mean, Well, this is a podcast about books, you know, and that's always one of the things... I forget who said that great quote, but, you know, reading makes you feel less alone. You know, you, you're a person's talking to you. Someone's talking to you. Yeah. You know, and, it's great. But is, uh, is that the other... Because that, that's the... Again, going back to someone like Quentin Letts, who mm. really just everything that he's he's one of those and and these people seem to be thriving so much those who merely want to 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 peddle kind of vindictiveness yeah. and and spite and they want to make sure that there's a great quote actually, I wrote this is James James Baldwin there's so many wonderful things said uh, I, I imagine one of the reasons people cling to their hate so stubbornly is because they sense once hate is gone they will be faced to deal with pain and that I mean, he was one of the greatest writers, I think, right. in dealing with, uh, you know, himself as, uh, you know, a, a gay Afro-American man growing up in a time of segregation, all of those, those mm. things. And the way that he could see this brutality and yet write so humanely and so... And to me, that's the antithesis of so much of what we see now. Yeah. But, I mean, the, the, the other thing about people like Quentin Letts and Julia Hartley Brewer is they've, they've always been sort of doing that stuff, right? But suddenly it's got attraction and it's probably monetizable as well, mm. you know, because they can sort of measure the fact that the more extreme the things they say, the more traffic is quite literally driven through their timeline or the website of their newspaper. And, um, you know, he used to watch Julie Hartley on telly four years ago and you think, well, she's a sort of Tory, but she's all right. You know, and but something about what's happened has has amped up their, their rhetoric. And, um, and, you know, I don't know what the way back is from that it was uh, the quote just went up for about 12 seconds on the screen we, we read to know we are not alone William Nicholson from Shadowlands um, the... I wish I had researchers who would just check the things that I say just generally in life yeah, that's as I walk if you about. Want. Trent, are you free for the rest of the afternoon? <laughs> He's doing a column. Can you just, yeah, you can use these new Google saying Plex glasses not, or whatever they're called. Yeah. I'm not wrong in what I'm saying. But that, 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 I think, that's the bit which is when you say, you know, that, that despair, yeah. and it's a despair which I think, it, it's a bit like that moment where you're not necessarily voting for the party that will be financially the best for you. Yeah. There's a kind of, and that seems to be one of the divisions that we're seeing, and I don't mm. think that's a division between Leave and Remain, I think that's a different no. division entirely, yeah, yeah. which is that division of kind of uh, a, a humanity where the hope that human beings who have this ability to to travel into space to write the most beautiful pieces of, of poetry and all that and that every time you see amplified that level of of, of hatred that we yeah. saw throughout that that that's the bit where you go the species has failed and that's 
then the melancholy kind of kicks in. Well, my editor Andy Miller, who's who's he's very good, and uh, you know he does a books podcast. Brilliant books podcast. Book fans will know him. He's been instrumental in repopularising a lot of marginalised figures that are great. And um, but he, you know, one of the things I wanted to do in the book was I, I wanted to use the below the line comments that you get when you put uh, when an article goes online, and um. What what has happened over the three year period that I give examples of columns in this book from, is that they become more and more extreme, you know, and people dispense with even trying to be funnily rude about you. It's just they just hate you and want you to die. And um, and so I, I put all these in. I put the funny ones in, but I also put the ones in that were just extreme. And Andy said, you know, are you sure you want to do that? Because it is a bit. Like you know, the book can read a bit like it's funny, but you're living in this horrible place of conflict and intolerance. And I thought, well, yeah, because actually, the people sort those columns out to say those things about them, to say those things about me and people that think like me. And it's interesting to see the extreme nature of uh, things. And it also gives you, it also helps you if you if you live live in the li- liberal uh, bubble to understand what what um what some of the forces driving the, the rise of the far right are. Not all, you know, there's, yes, we have to respect people's legitimate concerns about this and this and this, but there's a crazed, bitter rage about it as well that is not, it's not a tiger that the Tories are going to be able to ride. It'll throw them off, mm. you know, and they think, and you can tell that just from the below-the-line comments in here. Although the public sometimes, you know, the the, the book... The book, I think, as the writer, but I think it was saved at a number of points from being uh, a sort of um, more one-dimensional book about a view of the view of someone from inside the liberal bubble by the interventions of friends and the public. And um, you know, at the very end of it, at the end of a column where I talked about, I, I went, I went on. Um, Nigel Farage's march to leave, um, sort of undercover. Well, not, not undercover. Well, no one knew I was. I didn't need to go undercover. I'm not that well known. But, um, but one of the members of the public at the bottom put, and this ended up being the last comment in the book, Stuart Lee, when all this Brexit shite is over, people like you better be prepared to bung some money up north to places like Teesside or Hartlepool. And you go, yeah, that's sort of boils down to what a lot of it was about, and it there was a sense that something was not being taken care of, and this must be the fault of someone. Mm. And they were given the impression that it was the fault of the EU. Now it's apparently the fault of me. Look, I mean, I I, pay, I don't avoid tax like some celebrities, and I vote for parties that will tax me even more mm. heavily than I am taxed now. But um, but so I do, I, you know, and I I don't, I'd like to vote for a party that would that would address the concerns of this man who feels. Teesside and Hartlepool need money bunged up to them. But uh, it's, it's worth noting that that comment at the end of the book, it sort of reminds us that there was, there was a pain behind that vote that wasn't just about hating foreigners and wanting it to be 1933 again. You know, there's sort of, there was a feeling that something had gone really wrong and that these other people were profiteering from it, whoever they were. Tony Parsons was slagging me off in uh, GQ and... Uh, I think he said that my routine, one of my standard routines about Brexit, was unlikely to make any of the 17.4 million people that voted for Brexit the largest democratic referendum ever in the history of the country, which it isn't, is it? They would say that it's not likely to make any of them change their minds. 
which was to sort of suggest that the intention of it had been to do so, and it, and it wasn't. That's a bit like saying, you know, faulty towers didn't make any hoteliers behave better. Yeah, you know, it wasn't sort of like the point of it. It was a, it was supposed to be a piece of comedy, and I'm, I'm, at the end of the day, I'm a comedian first and foremost. That's why when I get asked to go on Question Time or things like that or Newsnight, I sort of won't really do it because I think it's probably better if they get someone who's devoted their life to studying what politics means rather than asking a clown who dabbles in it for comic effect for their opinion. Uh, but, you know, it's, it is it is comedy first force. And, so, and some I of the... did like your comment about that you decided to stop doing Andrew Neil's uh, this yeah. week uh, at roughly the same time they decided to stop asking <laughs> you. <laughs> Wonderful. The, uh, one of my favourite things I always like to, because a lot of people still don't read Viz and they really should is uh, or go back to it, is still one of the greatest delights is every time there's a Tony Parsehole comment. Yeah. Uh, the Tony Parsehole column In Viz. And the image of Tony yeah. Parsehole. That and, and when I was reading this as well, the Mail Online, you know, that yeah, uh, yeah. Lee and Barney do, yeah. which is just... That's what I find. That's another thing that I, I suppose this kind of overt, strange hypocrisy where a bit like your your, your new show, Snowflake Tornado, yeah. is that right? and I find it very interesting to see so many of the different people that are attacking this snowflake generation mm. for being outraged are the people who've made their entire living for the last 40 yeah. years yeah. making people outraged and being outraged. Yeah. And that seems to be an odd thing which is to go, well, I want to control the outrage, and now it's in the hands of the young, which well, worries um, me. Sarah Vine keeps bringing up a joke I did about her a few years ago and saying that it was politically incorrect and sexist and stuff, which I think is to is to willfully misunderstand it, but it's but it's it's to get at me, because then on the same time she will praise um, Jacob Rees-Mogg for being politically incorrect, or she will say that, um, that someone like Toby Young is great because they've got a caustic wit and they don't respect the sensibilities of of um of the snowflakes, you know what I mean? So it's funny and a few times in the in the book where people have have um picked up the commenters on that with some commentator going, I think it was misogynistic of you to say Amber Rudd's face looks like a a, a mask of her own face that's melted a bit or something, you know. And then then one of the public does the work for you and scans all that bloke's quotes and goes at loads of other times he's complained about how we're not allowed to be politically incorrect and abusive about women and whatever. So they kind of, ch they change those outrage, voices of outrage people, they change what they complain about, depending and they change their, their philosophy depending on who the target is. Sorry, I probably interrupted you in a previous podcast and I'm going to interrupt you again. Be sure to check out everything else going on at CosmicShambles.com. We've got other podcasts such as Science Shambles where myself and Helen Chersky chat to all sorts of brilliant scientists about their current work and Brain Yapping with Dean Burnett and Rachel England tackling questions about the brain. Exclusive blogs from top science writers like John Butterworth, Susie Gage, Dean Burnett, Ginny Smith and others. Videos, documentaries and lots of live events. The Cosmic Shambles Network is the place for people who are curious about the universe and everything it contains and things that might also it doesn't contain but we're just kind of mucking about with those ideas you know all of that stuff is that the is, is that the the way that it works is that when someone like you know you write about jam Moir in this uh briefly i think it might only be in a footnote yeah, actually yeah. but but you know she it doesn't matter and as, as you said really since 2013 there's so many people have usurped her yeah i mean I, I still find one of the most amazing things i remember uh that stephen gately column i remember on that day i was playing sheffield and i was yeah, like when she, what did she said that the what was the she exactly said about stephen gately from from uh 
from boys home it was basically he, that he it, died, his lifestyle it, his it, lifestyle it, it, it was a died, lifestyle yeah, thing yeah, it was yeah, the yeah. but i remember at the time when people were being very angry and thinking oh but she's big because the, still the column that i found the most remarkable from her and i haven't investigated that much it didn't take very long yeah, yeah. to find one in which there was a woman whose uh, daughter had been um raped and killed and uh, it turned out it was by her partner uh, who who then killed himself and she wrote this piece where um, halfway through, or about one third of the way through, she said, but what I still don't understand... So it's meant to be this letter to this woman. Yeah. Sorry you've lost these things, but what I still don't really understand is how did you allow a monster into your life? And that level of kind of barbaric charlatanism of going, of not understanding that people, first of all, a lot of people who may well have vicious intent yeah. put on a front. This is why it's sometimes yeah, quite can, difficult. Or you can to, be turned... You, or you can have not been that person and turn into it as well. You know, it's sort of, um, yeah, but to make the mother feel bad about that is, yeah, I know. But that that's, so those, as far as I can see, look, again, because a lot of these names crop up here, is it that these people, it doesn't matter, the outrage doesn't matter. They either want the reader to be outraged with them and they're very happy for uh, the, you know, the liberal media elite to be outraged against them. But as long as there is outrage... Then you can thrive. So yeah, although I think again they sort of lost control of it. Like I listened to Nick Ferrari on um, on uh, LBC, and you know for years he was that he was one of these sorts of people that stirred up his audience and um, and you know profited from that. And I think probably said things that he didn't necessarily think in order to to wind him up. And then about the time that Trump had shared um, the uh, far right anti-Islamic videos from a British far right group online. Uh, Ferrari was trying to have a phone in discussing that and all of his listeners who he had made into what they were were ringing up saying that Trump was right to do this even though some of the videos were, were fakes or were not the places they were purported to be or whatever you know and he and he was trying to pull them back and go well hang on a minute and it's really weird because he'd actually mm. he lost control of the i mean i keep i keep using images of frankenstein's monster and the golem and stuff all through the point book to the point where it's ridiculous and i didn't do it on purpose it was just an accident that i but i kept thinking of these things in the same way like they've invented they've you know the the the, what's happened in the last decade has created monsters like Boris and like Farage and like Nick Ferrari's listenership, and there's not, and there's not thought about what happens when they're let out into the world. And you can't get them back in there at it, and um, and they it's sort of freaking people out. But they let it happen, and the and the news journalists that didn't hold them to account let it happen. And the Today program, uh, there's a number of examples in there where they they just don't hold the people to account that are sitting there just lying about stuff. Like was, like Gove's, Gove's um, uh, when he went to New to America and talked to to Trump and no one saw fit to report or question on the fact that Murdoch was in the room with them. You know, it's kind of. Is that because there is this, as you said, for for a lot of these in in the book you talk about, it, it still seems that the Toby Youngs, etc. This is kind of a wizard wheeze because after yeah. it all has fallen apart, you can go behind your kind of you know the high walls uh, that you've built and you yeah. can just watch it through a little slot and go, oh, I yeah, see. Yeah, well, we know we know here. it's a wizard wheeze for some people. We also know we also know and we also know that for some people it's like playing a fruit machine. You know, how much money can you get out of the country before the pound tanks and do? And, and quadruple your money by moving it into another currency. You know, we know that. And we know all this stuff from, from Carol Cudwallader as well. We know, uh, and that's never really properly addressed by anyone. That's been the interesting. My, my dad's 88 years old, 
uh, said, I've been reading The Telegraph for 50 years, and do you know what? I've really gone off it. I think I'm going to get a subscription to The Guardian. Right. So now at 89, every morning The Guardian arrives, and he sits there and he reads it, <laughs> and it's a whole new... And I have to say, though, though I have, you know, like that's yeah. the trouble, isn't it? The moment you're anywhere on the left, you still go, oh, it's, it's a bit like Orwell. You know, Orwell, after the Attlee government started, went, oh, it's a bit of a letdown, isn't it? And so, But yeah. still, you know, for him, a lot of that, and for me, a lot of that information that people like, you know, Carol Cobbold are, are, are bringing out, is it's and it doesn't seem to be anywhere else. No, so is no. that because of a kind of, in your view, is, is this partly the matiness that exists? If you have Absolutely, journalists, you know, you've yeah. got Johnson and Gove, and you have various yeah, yeah, journalists, yeah. various PR people. Yeah. You have people who come all in it, people together, where the yeah. truth is malleable. Well, they're all by in profession. it together, or they're all in it together, and yet the perception is that you and I are part of some elite that is controlling the media. <laughs> And yet, it's like, there's only one newspaper that even remotely reflects anything, I think. And the rest of them... You know, you look at the headlines today about the uh, the court judgment on, on Boris. They're, they're either... You know, it's really obvious what the what the agendas are of those papers. I think that's why I like Invasion of the Body Snatches in every single one of its different versions. Yeah. Is that you, you end up... All of those kind of visions. You're an ex, can't you see? You know, whether yeah. you see that as McCarthy or anti-McCarthy. Yeah. That that moment of oh I am legend I know we've probably talked about that no, before yeah, yeah, yeah. I revisit I am legend every couple of years and every it's filled with so many brilliant aphorisms and then that moment at the end the 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 sacrifice the realization yeah. the monsters are well there's a thing now isn't there where sort of quite science fiction sort of dystopian science fiction from the 30s 40s 50s 60s and Marvel comics from the 60s and 70s when they were still written by hippies. They're very broad brushstrokes, literally in the case of comic books. Very mm. broad brushstrokes of things that used to seem banal. Rather like those ridiculously exaggerated Bill Hicks routines about the system. They suddenly just seem totally apposite. You know, they're, they're, yeah, it is like the world's being taken over by scrolls in disguise. <laughs> you know, it is yeah. sort of... They seem, they seem to have the potency of, of myth, uh, where because the simplicity of them, the, the, the simple, obvious wrongness of what's going on, has kind of overlapped perfectly with all these things that were really silly. And in the book, I find myself a lot thinking about what's happening in politics in pl- in plots of sixties Italian westerns, which are very there's very simple three plots based on commedia dell'arte, which run through all Italian westerns or sixties comic books or old science fiction or myths, because that what's happening now seems just so simply and obviously wrong, but it. It's perfectly. It's. It doesn't need much more nuance to deal with than those things. Well, that's uh, Mike Judge's Idiocracy, which is only about fifteen yeah. years old. Right. You ever, did you ever see? No, I've not seen that. No. It's great, and it was. It was kind of at the time people. But it. It. it I can't remember. He's a. He, a wrestler has become uh, the president of the United States of America, and they're right. doing as has been written about in in, in various. Uh, I always get the name of this, but there's an interesting book all about a, a kind of almost a, an update of Neil Postman's uh, Amusing Ourselves to Death. Right. Um, about the way, and this was written. Ten years before for Trump, yeah. but about how the language of wrestling, of WWF, of WCW, all of that kind of the, 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 this, yeah, the, yeah. the false fury, the drama, the pantomime of it is now God, the language that is of politics. Exactly right. And yeah, yeah. you know, he talks about Trump going in the ring and having a fight and stuff. Yeah, you know, yeah. doing these things. But in Idiocracy, this, the, the wrestler who's in charge, uh, you know, they eventually find out the reason the crops are failing is Gatorade isn't good for crops. It's not right. better for, and it's right. this, and you watch it and you go, oh man, this is. Yeah, it's uh, there, there is almost some solace, isn't it, in in the absurdity? Is there a solace in, in absurdity or not? Well, there or would it... be if I didn't have kids, mm. right? I would be, I would, 
moved to the west coast of Ireland or the north of Scotland and I would carry on doing stand-up and I would do it in a far more nihilistic voice. And I would I would sort of have given up. I would have given up on the planet and on our political system and I would resolve myself to enjoy laughing at it as it went down. But unfortunately, having spawned children, I'm a stakeholder now yeah. in this and... So I can't just let it go, and so I've, you know, it, that that's when it becomes depressing because you kind of, because that's the other thing, isn't it? While all this has been happening, while we've been talking about the major irrelevance of our membership or non-membership of a European trading bloc, which also has certain human rights standards attached to it, the environmental, the inevitable environmental catastrophe, the writing is on the wall for it, and imagine if the same level of input. And effort and and space and and newspaper column space and airtime been given to trying to convince people to implement solutions to uh, to climate change had happened. We might be we might be getting somewhere. And it's but that I suppose that was one of the warnings, wasn't it? Which is it, it, that turning against such an enormous body of scientific evidence yeah. and scientific opinion, and that the, that has been promoted, you know, it's been promoted you know, Steve Jones, the uh, excellent yeah, um, yeah, scientist yeah. and science writer, you know when he spent, uh, what was it, one or two years doing a report into problems within kind of notions, false notions of balance yeah. in BBC News, and the people that they would have on to debate climate yeah. change, and all those things, and you know he does this report, and then they ring him up and say, oh great can you come and talk about it on the Today programme, oh who do you want me to be on with, Nigel Lawson, yeah, well, oh, okay, but in that, the end and so he, yeah. you know, that bit of... Well, in the end, they they had to stop having Nigel Lawson. That's the interesting thing about that. And I noticed recently they had um, a woman from Extinction Rebellion and the best, they could, uh, who obviously wants everything to stop right now, and the best they'd come up with on the BBC to go against her was a, was a UN um, climate change consultant who pretty much agreed with her about, the, about her um, pr predictions of imminent doom, but not about the political solutions. So that, and that was the best they could do. But what, what, what's happened during the Brexit debate? On, on the BBC, is that lying idiots have been put up on the Brexit side as balance to reasonable, thoughtful people. And and um, so it's never been balanced. And that's why, I don't know about you, but I don't bother anymore. You know, I get asked, if I get asked to go on and talk about taste in comedy, I think, well, they're going to put me up against just some idiot, provocateur, and I can't let them stew in their own juice. I can't be bothered with it. You know, I can't be bothered to go and engage in this. You must be false... asked question time. Yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah, I'm that's that's the one that I'm glad that it. I never, never said yes it. to that. I wouldn't be no. asked now because no. I'm way beyond the, them having any interest in me. Yeah. But yeah. every, you know, I'd be drunk in a hotel room watching it, putting yeah. things on social media fury, and then the next day the email would arrive, and I'd be sober enough to go, no. There's, yeah. there's nothing to be get. Yeah, there's there's a few people, you know, Mark Steele. Is, I would have well, as, yeah, as, as, as you. But he, but Mark Mark Steele, Mark Steele, is, was very good on it. And then towards the end of the last time I saw it on it, he made a mistake, which is also a mistake I think Nish made, where they let their the fact that they have genuine feelings about politics, they they let that come out, and then that's where the sort of machines of the uh, of the far right can sort of shut mm -hmm. you down because they see having feelings as a as a weakness, you know, and um, and then they'll they'll they then you've you've they'll come in and and close you down and you know it, and that, that it's so weird that like Jess Phillips gets attacked for 
she seems to get attacked for having emotions, for thinking that politics actually does connect with people's mm. lives and feelings. And it's not just about moving numbers around and ideology. And it seemed, that seems to be seen as a deficiency in some way. But imagine if... I mean, I understand why, like the law, we like to think that the House of Parliament should be a place where debates is conducted according to precedent and without... without. I understand that there's going to be a problem if people start having feelings everywhere. <laughs> it's really weird that it should be seen as a terrible thing. But that's the odd thing, is it? It's the certain fe- feelings of passion yeah. and, and empathy and consideration and care mm. are somehow weak. The, fi- the, the perpetual, pointless kind of... Uh, outrage which you see peddled though that that's that's yeah. a threat to, to to shout and to it's a, when you were talking about in one in one well, in fact more than one column in this book you you talk about uh when uh apparently everyone walked out of your show for the whole of the last tour didn't yeah, they you, yeah. you did five minutes and then everyone left because yeah. they're so angry about your, your brexit yeah. stuff and um which was a completely <laughs> made up story yeah that gained a lot of traction it started off about something marcus brigstock said and um one um, one paper picked up with it, and then somehow my name got put into the story. I think maybe one person walked out in Canterbury because I did, and it it became uh, in the the Daily Telegraph, the Daily Mail, the Daily Express, Breitbart, Spectator, Shortlist, and Spiked all had fake stories suggesting Brexiteer audience were also deserting en masse shows by me specifically, and a subsequent host of unnamed far left comedians. And I, you know, I contacted them all about it. Um, and the Daily Express was the only one to... The Daily Express said that I was receiving scornful glances from audiences. <laughs> You've always... That's why they go. I know. They, 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 they go, they go oh, let's go see Stuart Lee. I haven't used my scornful glance muscles so I said, So I said, can you put this correction in? And they ran it. They put, comedian Stuart Lee, in contrast, claims his career has only been strengthened by Brexit. He's been performing nationwide with a set that includes 20 minutes of anti-Brexit material and describes leave voters as C-word, asterisks out. <laughs> the Daily Express ran that, which I think is really interesting because um, the, the, the Telegraph, the Mail, Spectator, Shortlist and Spikes just left this made-up crap on their websites, you know, and... Um, um, I'll talk on a, a more positive thing. Have you been to the William Blake exhibition yet? Uh, no, but I will go as soon. As I, I've not. I've not been yet because I've, I've been getting this new show in. Um, but I will do. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking looking forward to that. It's funny. It's, it feels like no sooner has one William Blake exhibition gone than another another comes around. Again. I have a good. I have a good mad story about a William Blake exhibition, which is about twenty years ago. Now, no longer twenty odd. About a quarter of a century ago, I wrote a film script and I sent it to people and weirdly it got to the point where a Hollywood producer was interested in it and I uh, had to keep going to Hollywood. But I couldn't really afford to go to Hollywood. Even when they flew me out, they'd they put me up in um, the Four Seasons Hotel and uh, because you had to be seen to be saying... But I couldn't afford to live in the Four Seasons. Even when they'd paid the bill, I couldn't afford to eat there or do anything you know so in the end I used to stay at a Motel 6 in Santa Monica and I would have a room that I could do meetings in a posh hotel opposite called Shutters which would give the impression that I was a player you know but anyway I got to the point where I had a cast more or less assembled which was um, Alan Rickman who's died since and to, to, until he died he would often sometimes get in touch with me and go what's happening with that film it was marvellous <laughs> I had Peter Fonda who's also died wow. it was the curse of my <laughs> uh, Peter Fonda and um 
and I had Daryl Hannah, um, who at the time was in a, a sort of career limbo where the, the people that might invest in it thought she might be good box office because she was about to be in this Tarantino film. As it happened, that never quite kicked over. But anyway, I used to... You know, I met her a couple of times in, in London about around that time when she was here. And it's obviously, it's really weird because you can't really do anything with a superstar. You can't really go anywhere, you know. But you can't... And, and anyway, she'd been invited to... Um, to uh, a, a private view by the head of the Tate of the then of the then Blake exhibition, which had just opened, and because I'd got to meet her anyway about this script, she said, "Do you want to come to this?" She probably didn't want to go around it on her own with um, with uh, the bloke from the Tate, you know. So I, w I went with her, and weirdly, there's not many things that I know a lot about that are anyone would ever be interested in anyway. But one of them at the time, I was trying to write another script about William Blake, so I was all over it. So we were going we were going around the private view of the Blake exhibition, and she's going, what's that uh, thing, you know? And the bloke from the Tate, he didn't know everything, does he? He'd go, oh, um, and I'd go, oh, it's uh, an etching from the front page of so-and-so that was published in whatever. And then this kept happening. I looked like this kind of mad sort of genius bloke that knew everything. It was really weird. Weird experience to be um, to be to be a film star's personal uh, Blake expert. Going around <laughs> there. But I, I I do keep coming back to him. I, I organised a benefit which you were on, weren't you, for the um, to help pay for the the memorial stone, um, which was God. It's nice. Do you know what? It was nice to obviously we do a lot because we're liberal snowflakes. We were in a gang of people, me and Robin, that for for about a ten fifteen year period. It seemed like every charitable benefit for every doomed liberal cause was pretty much me, you, Josie Long, Simon yeah. Murray, Kevin Elder. It was the same sort of ten people. But it was, but it was nice to do one. It was nice to do one to raise money for a stone to be made, and that stone exists now, and that's done. Yeah. That, well, the two things that I definitely know are that, and I did a ben benefit with uh, Richard Herring to uh, replace the carpet at the Lyric Hammersmith. Oh, yeah. And so the two things that I definitely know yeah. I have helped achieve Achieved, yeah. are carpeting on a stairwell yeah. in uh, a theatre yeah. and uh, a small part of the granite on uh, yeah. that is so tangible. Yeah, tangible. So uh, Kevin Eldon's a, a voiceover in the William Blake exhibition, apparently. Oh, is he? Yeah, he's the voice of a, a catalogue or something at you. Anyway, it looks really good. John Higgs's little uh, John Higgs, who's, who's writing a much bigger book on Blake, yeah. but who's, who they kind of went, can you do a little book as well? Because this exhibition and it's about oh. he's written this 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 short book, which is basically why Blake matters even more now than he ever did, and why yeah. with each decade, in fact, what he yeah. But I think different people will take different things with it, which from it in regard to the current situation, you know, which you could say is a tribute to it. But I mean, I, I know libertarians would take stuff from Blake that would say. Leave the EU, yeah. and then other people would say, "No, be part of a, a an organisation that aspires to have values, but obviously doesn't necessarily have them, and needs to be reformed from within." You know, I don't know. I don't know what I don't know what you take away from it. But there's always that, a danger. I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? Which which I think is why John's book's good. Is John's book is 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 a broad view of various different pieces of of the the artistic nature the understanding the politics all that of, of of William Blake about how you can use them yourself not to then go well yeah. I think Tan Tennyson would probably have been a, a lever and yeah. uh, so would Kipling yeah. but Shelley definitely a remainer you know whatever it might be oh, no, actually Shelley, Shelley would probably be a lever wouldn't he yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but th so it's it's a, it's a good and, and interesting well the book. Tate magazine's got a really great you know a typically 
a typically jaw-droppingly erudite and beautifully written piece on Blake from uh, from Alan Moore. Oh, I've uh, not, not know, seen yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think it might be in the catalogue as well for the exhibition, but it's just, uh, you know, you sort of forget, like, it's one of those people you, t- you take for granted and then you read it, read stuff again and you... I get this with some I music sometimes. I still don't think... understand how, what, you know, more than Einstein's brain, his must yeah. be investigated, uh, because the, the, not merely, <laughs> we, we did a thing about, uh, um, Phil, Philip Ball, who's, who's written a really interesting book called, uh, Beyond Weird, which is about quantum mechanics and how we need to change our kind of way that we view it and stop thinking of it as weird and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. And I did an event which unfortunately didn't get properly recorded. There was a cock up, but it was, uh, so it was, was me, uh, just interviewing Phil and Alan. And you could just see Philip Ball's face going, not only has this man with the shamanic rings and the enormous wizard's beard yeah. and the snake stick read my book, yeah. he has comprehended all of the different ramifications yeah. that are within it and is now able to... So it's not merely repetitive. And that, to me... And and then, you know, and you just think of that front room with just, you know... Ashtrays ris- everywhere. Yeah, yeah. A- <laughs> ashtrays and biscuits and pint cups of tea and, you know, the ability both to, to recite and understand Blake to uh, Max Plank and George Bestial from Viz yeah. is yeah. <laughs> I know it's um disorientating. Yeah. Uh yeah. Um we we've run out of time, which is a pity because I wanted to talk also about we'll talk about it another time, hopefully. That right. that odd thing about how there is this whole it's political correctness gone mad, which an enormous number of comedians seem to be going. Yeah, well, I'm trying. I'm not to, allowed to say anything more. I'm uh, trying to address that Netflix in the new special. show, but it's a, it's a moving time. You know, uh, the new show half of it is supposed to be sort of about that. Um, I can't quite get it right because uh, I don't think audiences have, have, uh, expect you to take a position de- defending political correctness. I think it's you know. That's a bit like what you were saying before we went on air about audiences. You know, I, I I understand that it's possible that Bill Burr is portraying a sort of character of a man who is frustrated by his um, powerlessness as a middle-aged man in a world whose values are realigning um, institutionally in favour of people that didn't necessarily have a voice. But his audience don't see it like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's I mean, the... it's a really bad vibe in that room. Because that's <laughs> like an incels meeting. Yeah. Stuart Lee's March of the Lemmings, uh, his uh, never-ending, perhaps, columns about Brexit, we will discover eventually. Uh, but th- this one, 2016-2019, is out now from Faber and Faber. Isn't it amazing that Alan Bennett mentions you in his diaries? Look at oh, that. Yeah, that's, yeah. Where, look, you, that's how liberal media elite you are. There's that lovely bit where he goes to the Lake District and then uh, they all sit down and they, they, and he... Yeah, well, they, I'm, they I'm, I'm your... being very unkind about that review in the current show, actually. Well, it was really a diary entry. I wouldn't go so far as a review. Yeah, I pretended it's a review. Oh, that's the yeah. trouble. They, they, like most of the liberal lies, media elite, nearly everything lies, in this book is an absolute lie. lie. Um, and uh, Snowflake Tornado is on the Leicester Square Theatre throughout panto season as usual. Yeah, and, and then, uh, it, then it tours, because you, you, you probably won't be able to get a ticket for the London one, but it'll be off everywhere from February. And uh, yeah, so thanks. And I'm also on tour as well. So come to uh, Shoreham or Otley or Penzance or Exeter uh, or Glasgow or Edinburgh. Where do you live in Penzance? Acorn. Acorn, yeah. That is a nice venue. It's, it's difficult now. There's larger rooms in in Cornwall, but weirdly, you know, there aren't any now because the the uh, the um, hall for Cornwall is being refitted with partially with EU funding, and it's closed at the moment. So uh, yeah, the, the larger theatres, they'll never be needing me. 
I'm yeah, well, they do with the Brian show. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, as long as I bring my pet They think they've physicist. seen you. That's the problem. They think I've seen him. Yeah. The uh, no, but it's fun anyway. I'm, gl- I'm I'm still as long as people turn up, as long as it turns, as, as long as I don't always have to turn up to a venue and they say we've done it cabaret seating, oh, yeah. then it's going to be all right. Yeah. Stuart Lee, March the Lemmings, out now. Thanks very much for listening. Remember, if you'd like to hear an extended edition of this chat, an extra, uh, it's about an extra fifteen minutes, I think, this week, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash book shambles and pledge as little as a dollar a month and get access to that go to cosmicshambles.com for blogs and podcasts and documentaries and everything else all our live dates as well of course robinintz.com for robin's live dates stuartlee.co.uk for all of his dates and also josielong.com for all of josie's dates we'll be back next week with another new episode until then have yourself a great week bye bye This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network. Josie Robbins' book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions.